Year after year, thousands of SaaS founders bring their teams to SaaS stock in Dublin for the ultimate networking and growth-focused experience. Christian Owens, CEO and co-founder of Paddle, met Patrick Campbell, founder at ProfitWell, at SaaS stock, a meet that became a friendship and a friendship that eventually led to a $200 million acquisition. Their story could be yours. With 100 plus hours of networking opportunities, you'll have back-to-back meaningful conversations with fellow SaaS founders, future customers, or investors who want to fund your SaaS. Save up to 750 euros on your tickets with our flash sale live now. Closing in less than 24 hours at midnight, Friday 2nd of September. Visit sasdoc.com forward slash sasdoc-2022 and use the code FLASHPODCAST at checkout. This is not the first time uh, we have struggled and I've had much closer sort of like near-death experiences than I am currently, right? So it is, it sounds like a cliche, but it isn't always up and to the right and it is a marathon and it's hard, grueling work. And we should start normalizing that because only then can we educate each other as founders, only then can we really be helpful to each other. If we're all just on Twitter and showing everyone how we're crushing it and how cool we are and we're building in public until things start going the wrong way, and we're just buying into the hype and, and we're just like, we're not providing any real value. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and uh, delighted to be joined today by Oivind Reed, who's the CEO of Whereby. Welcome, Oivind. Many thanks, Alex. It's great to finally be on, and uh, thanks for having me and being patient with me. Yeah. No, no, it's great to uh, have you on the podcast. Uh, uh, for our listeners, uh, um, I think, I mean, we've been perhaps sort of speaking to Oivind uh, on and off uh, for a little while now. You spoke at one of our uh, uh, virtual conferences, or maybe one or two of our virtual conferences, uh, during the uh, the pandemic, uh, but we got to meet in person finally. Uh, we'll say March or April of this year at, at Sassiest, and uh, had a great chat. Enjoyed that, and after that, you know, we tried to get you on the the podcast. We're doing it now, uh, a few a few months later. But uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. It's good because we've we've had to um, the opportunity to have you know a, a bit of a conversation prior to this. So you know, we've got sort of like more insights into. Uh, I guess into your, yourself and things that you're passionate about and the story of whereby. So super helpful, uh, you know, in preparation for our conversation. Awesome stuff. I look forward to it. Yeah, good stuff. Well, Oivin, uh, why don't we start? Um, why don't we tell the audience uh, who is Oivin Reed? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I started my career uh, outside of tech. Um, always been fascinated by sort of sales and, and commercial models, etc. Um, but like I said, started outside of tech. Uh, I was actually selling seafood uh, for quite a while, which is a very Norwegian thing to do. But um, in 2010, I was approached um, and asked if I wanted to be the VP of sales at a, a, a startup called Videonog, which was sort of like the first beginning of the company that I'm running now. And in 2011, I was asked by the board if I would step in as the CEO. And I did, and that's basically what I've been doing ever since and seen multiple ups and downs uh, during the course of my career uh, building this company. 
Outside of work, I'm very passionate about football. Uh, I'm an Arsenal fan, as you can potentially see from the flag back there. And uh, right now that is causing me a lot of uh, good memories, uh, but it hasn't always been like that. Um, I also like exercising, doing my road bike, and also running uh, is quite uh, something that I really enjoy when I find time for it. Uh, we, we have something in common in that I'm an Arsenal fan as well. And as you say, it's, uh, well, we've had... Uh, a, quite a few years of uh, well, really nothing to to celebrate or enjoy, and quite a lot of pain. Uh, but I think like we've seen things started to get uh, a little bit better, and certainly right now, um, couldn't be much better because we're top of the league after three games. But it is only three games, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. But uh, indeed, good signs. The same good good signs. We could let's uh, let's celebrate whilst we're at the top uh, uh, for that, sure. That's what we have to. And and uh, my partner always says that I'm I'm 42 years old now. And still, she can see it on my face when Arsenal are doing well compared to when they're losing. So <laughs> it still impacts my my overall mood. No, definitely. I think uh, for every football fan, particularly sports fan, you know, if you have a team, if your team loses, it can can ruin your whole day. Um, and and uh, you mentioned you're Norwegian. I see the map behind you. Um, where are you in Norway right now? Yes, I am. So um, I live on the west coast of Norway. Um, it's a beautiful place to be. It's very safe and, and very nice for, for raising a family and for my kids. We have a lot of family here. It's, this is the place where I was born. Uh, and having lived at quite a few other locations for a while, we decided to settle here um, long term. So for me, I also enjoy traveling and seeing other places. Uh, but um, being here sort of like as a steady state works well for me and my family. So the West Coast of Norway is, is great for that. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, I've, I've never been to Norway. Um, I'm, I'm I'm half Finnish. I spent a lot of my summers in uh, in, in Latte uh, growing up uh, anyway and, and you know a bit of time in Sweden but uh, yet to come to Norway but uh, certainly plan to do it uh, you, you know uh, at some point. If you ever come uh, let me know and I'll take you to see the the fjords they're they're stunning especially in the summer it's really nice so let me know and I'll take you. We'd love to we'd love to and we could talk, talk about Arsenal as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> What about the story of whereby then, uh, I mean, starting back, so you joined in 2011, it, it had a different name, uh, I, I think, sort of back then. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the story of whereby, also like uh, what it does uh, as well? Absolutely. So uh, let me start with the story first, and then I'll dive into what we do today, because uh, like I said, I've been working in this industry now of video conferencing for uh, over a decade, and our sort of like history is not a straight line uh, up into the right kind of scenario that investors likes to see, right? There's been a lots of ups and, ups and downs. And we started a company back in uh, 2010 that grew very, very nicely. This was actually pre-Zoom and, and, and some of the bigger players that have since, since come to market. Um, but at the time, we were fully bootstrapped. So we were basically investing what we made every year into technology and building that out. Um, a big lesson for me was that that was too slow. We should have really fueled it at that time just because there was a much bigger market for us to grab uh, with the technology that we had at the time. However, as I saw that we started falling behind from a technology perspective, uh, we decided in 2018 to acquire a technology that was actually lodged inside of the largest Norwegian telco, Telenor. Uh, so we spun that out, uh, got the technology and a huge amount of talented people uh, that since then became and developed into what is whereby today. 
At the time, it was called a pair-in, so some of the listeners might have actually used that. Um, but uh, we made it into whereby together as a team joining forces uh, of two companies, basically. So it's been lots of ups and downs. And today we basically offer two products in the market. Uh, one that most people know about uh, that I've used whereby is the what we refer to as whereby meetings, which is the basically the, the service that competes with Zoom and Microsoft Teams and, and Google Meet. But then we also offer something called Whereby Embedded, where we allow customers to take our platform and embed it and integrate it into their own apps and workflows so they can offer great video conferencing capabilities to their users, but in a use case that is not predominantly uh, sort of like business to business scenarios, but much more rather um, a, a company needing to do support for customers, for instance, or telemedicine or events and that kind of scenario. Very cool. I remember appearing, uh, had used it uh, uh, a few times. And um, yeah, then also then sort of conscious about like, seeing that appearing then, you know, became whereby, but I wasn't really kind of following it, you know, in the details to, to, to how that happened. Uh, but what, 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 de- what data can you share about the company? So like how many people is whereby... You obviously bootstrap, but you, you mentioned that I think I think you mentioned that you, you've now you know raised capital. Um, uh, you know how much have you raised? Uh, yeah, any revenue or what? Could, you know what can you share about the company? Just get the audience a bit of a picture of uh, you know where you are. Yeah, and and uh, in order for that to make sense, I, I'll share some of the like up until the basically up until COVID hit, we were mainly bootstrapped. I would say like we had some small angel checks, but nothing nothing uh, big. Um, upwards of half a million dollars raised at the time. But we, um, during COVID, uh, exploded onto the scene, right, and started growing uh, massively. So we quickly grew from probably around 20 people to upwards of um, upwards of 100 at the, at the highest level. Um, so we were sort of like really riding that wave of, of the, the surge and just the, the pure demand that was generated in the market uh, and the acceleration that we saw through COVID. Um, since then, a lot of the, the sort of, call it the crazy growth has, has gone down. You've probably seen uh, Zoom has been also struggling. Uh, many of the other providers on their usage have gone down and uh, Webby has been hit by that as well. So we are currently down to 35 people, between 35 to 37 roughly. So it's been a hard sort of like uh, last 12 months where we've had to make multiple changes to the business strategy and just go back to being uh, a functioning company without needing to consistently raise uh, venture capital, right? This, what's happened in like, they're now using terms like default, alive, et cetera. And that's basically what we've had to do as a, as a consequence. Um, so we haven't raised any capital since we raised uh, around in 2021. Uh, no, sorry, uh, late 2020. Um, so we haven't raised anything since then. And now we want to move forward as a sustainable company as a, as a consequence. We're roughly doing $8 million of ARR. So <laughs> in sort of like all the hardships, the good news is that we have strong, steady revenue that we can continue to build on. So uh, I feel for a lot of founders and people that I know that are now really struggling because their businesses are going under as a consequence, we have, call it the benefit of being able to pull it down to break-even levels. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no, um, and, and thanks for sharing that. And obviously, uh, I mean, un unquestionably, must have been very tough, uh, you, you know, going from like 100, you know, down to 35, and we, we, we'll touch on that, um, you know, in a bit. But obviously, I think, you know, certainly at the time whereby and yourself, you, you know, were doing the right things. You had the demand, you raised the venture capital, it's like shoot for the opportunity, uh, obviously, I think, you know, also at the time it was, you know, probably sort of like still, like, you know, growth at, uh, at all costs and, uh, you know, growth over profitability. Uh, but then given that, uh, I think, you know, there, there has been this sort of like reset and, you know, the, the demand has certainly, the, the COVID demand has certainly like disappeared. And we've seen, uh, like you said, the companies that really, really thrived during COVID and, and there's been so many of them, you know, especially in SaaS and, and Zoom and Hopins and so on have had to, they've all followed that similar strategy, kind of, you, you know, raise as much capital as they can, you, you know, shoot for that growth, you know, make the hires. Post-COVID, the demand isn't there, you know, and, and actually, well, the, we now have a whole market correction in, in, in SaaS, right? So, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily only the companies that, that really thrived and benefited from the pandemic, but in general, like every business in SaaS is now, going for operational efficiency rather than growth at all costs and having to make these uh, adjustments. Yeah, no, I, I, that's exactly right. And, and um, overall, I think in long term, I think it's, it's good to get this correction, right? Because uh, I've been in this game for a very long time. And what happened during t sort of like late 2019, 2020 and 2021, I think you and I can both agree was out of like, it, it, it doesn't make any sense, right? When you saw valuations and companies raising multiple rounds in a year, for instance, that was always the outlier. That wasn't the norm. And I'm speaking to a lot of founders now that I that I help mentor than that, that that have only seen that. And so they're really struggling to get into the mindset of that time, in my opinion, is not coming back anytime soon, right? Like the, the, we have to reset and rethink the way we build our companies. And uh, that's hard because you've been used to something and taken that for granted. And then suddenly it, it sort of like does a complete 180 on you and and, and changing your head uh, and the mindset is, is hard. Um, and especially when you have to bring a whole business with you on that journey. Given you were bootstrapping and had a really solid business before you raised venture capital, which attracted this, I think, $10 million Series A from Point Nine and, uh, and others, you know, was there a lot of internal debate, maybe you know, internal soul-searching with yourself and then you know, with the co-founders and the board, um, if there was a board at the time, um, you know, about actually going down the VC route rather than remaining as a, as a bootstrap company? So if you can take us back to that time like you know 2020 was that like you know was it really just hey this is the opportunity would be crazy not to take it it's 0.9 capital or was there a lot of discussions and people pro and against uh, raising yeah it's, a, it's an excellent question right and and i think any advice i share here is obviously uh, based on my own experience so so the listeners would have to take it for what it's worth right but there's no doubt that my previous experience led me to thinking differently this time around, right? I mentioned earlier that I failed to raise fast enough and, and, and really put some capital behind it when we were on a great growth trajectory last time. So in my head, I was always thinking, if that chance comes back, I'm definitely going to grab it. So that was part of it. Uh, the second thing was that we were growing so fast at that time that it would almost be 
irresponsible for me when looking at the shareholders in order to maximize the value not to ride that wave because it was impossible to say what would happen after you were just looking at every company that we were competing with were investing a lot and riding this wave so like perfect hindsight yes we could have done things differently but at the time in my opinion i i would love to speak to the founder that said no i'm not doing this at this time right so there are there are you can always have regrets i very often in my opinion i never regret what I've done. I sometimes regret what I didn't do. So that's my mentality. And at the same time, uh, this was when I started speaking to Christoph Jantz and I've always had a massive admiration for him and for Point Nine. And when they came and, and said that they would like to invest, for me, there wasn't really, that, that was kind of part of what I wanted to be a part of and try and, and see how we could make it uh, and take it to the next level. So those three reasons were basically what ended up making that decision easier, in my opinion, rather than more complicated. Makes make sense. And now from, I guess, being bootstrapped to being venture back, now you're still venture back, but operating the business as if it was bootstrapped uh, again. Can you share um, a little bit? I mean, we've kind of a little bit sort of touched on it and, you know, in terms of the market has really kind of shifted and demand, et cetera. Um, but yeah, like talk us a little bit sort of through that. And, you know, now what's rate, um, you, you know, the, the things that you've had to do to kind of, you know, get this back as uh, operationally efficient business. Yeah. And so, so first of all, it's extremely challenging for the team, right? My colleagues, there, there is no doubt as, as you're a founder, I'm a founder. And so it's our job to be two, three, four months ahead of, of everything else. Right. And I have seen that this shift might potentially happen. And so I've had time to digest it, think about it, strategize it, and then start to execute on it. My team members obviously don't have, call it that luxury, right? They, they haven't been part of those conversations. So when we have to do this, it's a shock to the system. There is no doubt. It's a shock to the people that I unfortunately have to let go. And it's equally shocking to the people that are behind and, and, and who wants to be here for the long run and wants to go again and, and rebuild. So that is a, that's a very, very important part of a process like this that I don't think you can overestimate uh, how complex that is to, to navigate. And so right now I'm spending a lot of my time with the team that are, is remaining and being optimistic about the future, right? Because I've told them that there are basically two ways we can do this. One, we can, we can, we can, we can moan and we can um, suffer and we can be depressed about what has happened. Or, in my opinion, the only way you can do it is to approach the market with optimism and positivity and say, "I believe that we can do this. Let's move forward as a team. Let's try whatever we can to solve the challenges ahead of us." And in my opinion, there is also some benefits of being bootstrapped or not needing to do 200% growth year on year is that you can actually afford to build a great product in what for our case definitely is a downturn in market. We have a consumption-based model. Many of our customers are suffering through what we've seen lately. And so our revenue suffers as a consequence. But there is still strong usage there. There is still showing the right motions moving forward. So there is plenty to be optimistic about. But going through that process... And then trying to motivate the team is obviously uh, a challenge and, and probably the biggest challenge I've had as a leader in, in close to 12 years of doing this now. Yeah, no, I mean, I can, 
I can re relate to it, uh, as I'm sure many founders um, listening can, uh, you know, as well. And and whilst, uh, well, certainly parallels in terms of, you know, what's happened at, at SaaStock and we, you know, we weren't venture backed, but, you, you know, we, we were uh, a growth business that had, you know, 24 employees uh, sort of pre-COVID. Uh, and then during COVID in 2020, we had to scale down to, to nine people um, and motivate the people, the, t the people, the team. You, you know, through what was, uh, you know, very difficult times because you're taking the, the core product of the business, which was in-person conferences, which was what uh, pretty much everybody that was hired into the business came into and what they were looking forward to. And, you know, some of the people came because we had, you know, we had international conferences. We were doing five conferences in five continents and they were looking forward to going to Australia and Brazil and, you know, you know these sort of things. And it's like, oh, well, we can't do that anymore and we're not doing in-person conferences and what you've been hired for, you kind of have to, you know, just slightly shift and, uh, and adapt and we're going to be doing, you know, virtual conferences for the foreseeable. And, yeah, definitely, like, motivating the team was, you know, really... Uh, really challenging and you, you know I, I tried sort of motivational speeches and kind of every day you, you know and sometimes they worked sometimes they didn't you, you know and getting out of bed it was like you know what are we going to be faced with today and you, you know the team have kind of faced you, you know were were burnt out and ENPS was like really down and you know there's cer certain members of the team you, you know were just couldn't couldn't really get out of the the funk and were pro probably bringing some others down uh, and so on, but it was just like overall a very kind of challenging year. At the end of it, you, you know, we had nine people left within the business uh, that you, you know were really kind of passionate about the future, you know, of Sastock, the mission, you know, the vision. Uh, you know, they earned their stripes, and we kind of got through that the most difficult period of you know of my sort of tenure, you know, as uh, as founder and, and, and CEO. And then 2021, it was. Uh, a little bit easier, you know, a bit of the load e was easier because we got through that, you know, we proved that we could weather the storm, you know, with the right people. And, you, you know, after that, it was like, well, okay, we've got through this. The The rest of the 2021 should be a lot, you, you know, a lot easier. And it was. Now we're back to growth and, you know, bringing new people in. And, you, you know, so we've, we've gone through, you know, the ups and then the downs and, you know, the, the ups are are coming again so it, it's a it's a good feeling and i i think it, it's it's very typical for for many you know many entrepreneurs you just don't really hear about it that often so it's good that we can speak about it you know i i think this is exactly the point right I, we have to normalize this because that is for most companies this is the norm we we always get fed and, and hear the the crazy success stories and we think that if we're not doing that then we fail and we suck and we shouldn't be ceos and we shouldn't be founders and we shouldn't be building a company the the whole truth is that most go through the similar journey that you've gone through that I've seen in the past. This is not the first time uh, we have struggled and I've had much closer sort of like near-death experiences than I am currently, right? So it is, the, it sounds like a cliche, but it isn't always up and to the right. And it is a marathon and it's hard, grueling work. And we should start normalizing that because only then can we educate each other as founders, only then can we really be helpful to each other. If we're all just on Twitter and showing everyone how we're crushing it and how cool we are and we're building in, product, in, in public until things start going the wrong way, and we're just buying into the hype and, and we're just like, we're not providing any real value. More founders should do it. I don't think it's necessarily so difficult. I, I do I recall that in 2020, um, 
I wrote a piece like it was like I don't know it was Diary of a CEO in a pandemic or I can't remember what it was called, but it was published in VentureBeat and it was just kind of like I was just talking about what's happened and and so and I was being very I was an open book and I was transparent. And um, we, we've got some small, like, angel investors. Uh, fun, um, uh, fun, Christoph Jans is uh, actually one of them. Uh, and um, uh, we published it, and one of the investors kind of reached out and said, well, I don't think you should be speaking, like, you, you know, like, so honestly about what, what's happening and these negative things, you, you know, et cetera. I was like, well, you know, this is actually what's happening, right? I'm not going to, you, you know, just, like, bullshit and say, hey, everything's great. You know, we're having the best year ever. But... Um, so yeah, it was just kind of interesting, and like uh, most people uh, actually kind of gave good feedback about the the, the article. But uh, you know, one, one particularly said like you know probably shouldn't be sharing so you know, shouldn't be so vulnerable. You know, kind of like online. Uh, it's it's such a it's uh, thanks for sharing that. I think this is hugely imp- uh, something we should probably do another episode on. This is that relationship between founders and investors. Like I would much rather, and I, I deeply appreciate our investors. Uh, I really do. And I have a huge amount of respect for them. And I know that they have a challenging job as well. But I would much rather have uh, positive feedback from my peers, the people that are facing what I am facing on a day-to-day basis, than having an investor say, well, I think you're being too vulnerable. I think you're being too honest. All right. I hear that. That to me is an opinion. I don't necessarily agree with it. I would much rather see if I get that feedback from other peers, other founders, then I'll take it to heart and say, yeah, maybe you're right. We shouldn't be talking about this. But I have a feeling, and based on my conversations, everyone is really wanting to have these conversations and be open and honest about what this is. Because it doesn't mean that we will sit down and feel sorry for ourselves and not go to work. Quite the opposite. I think it actually has a positive impact. It doesn't mean that you will just go negative and start uh, thinking that everything is going down the toilet. I believe that it actually has the way to to get you out of this and motivate you. Because what you'll see is that we all suffer the same things. We have imposter syndrome. We feel that we are underprepared to do this job. We're constantly being uncomfortable in our role. And it's one of the few roles where you constantly have to challenging yourself to do things that you don't know how to do. Many other roles you can grow into and then you start crushing it because you're doing more or less the same things and you become really good at it. The role of a CEO is to always be sort of like right at the edge of the line of what you can actually do. And I think that makes it a different role compared to many others. No, 100%. And what I find and when I listen to that, um, you know, when we got together or met at Sassius and we had these, you know, kind of like we'd never uh, met in person, but we'd spoken online and we were just, you know, two CEOs having a conversation open and, you know, and, and honest. And what I find is at conferences or just like, you know, when founders get together in person at retreats or whatever, like this is when they kind of like open up and like, hey, I'll like, you know, you have this problem too. And oh, you're like, you've got some people issues and, you know, how is this going? And, um, but you, you know, there isn't that uh, because of the way, as you say, like online, everybody's talking about how great the business is doing. You, you know, sometimes just like founders, they don't have that opportunity to really kind of like talk and share and, and, and just like just be open and honest. So some, I, I think like part of it, it online is a facade, right? You're just kind of showing like 
how great this is what you're supposed to do and supposed to say but like when we're in person this is how it really is right and uh, so we need to kind of get more of it online with like hey actually this is how it really is and just don't wait for those one or two opportunities a year to get together with founders and just to to really kind of just see if you've all got the same problems or not. And I, like I said, I think that's when you have true value creation. I, I don't want to be phony. I don't want to say to everyone that life is hunky-dory, we're crushing it. Uh, when I know I have team members that are being let go and it's 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 soul-crushing to them. Uh, and that's important for me to state when, when I said being the CEO is, is difficult, right? We also have to let people go and it's much harder on them than it is on us. So we should be very careful not to sort of like take the victim role here. Um, but I care about us as founders being able to speak openly and engaging with each other because after our conversation at Sassiest, that left me feeling energized. We basically just shared our sort of like our deepest thoughts and, and what we were struggling with. And boom, it and it for me at least, it releases a whole amount of energy because like I'm not alone. Alex has gone through much harder times than me during the last 12 months. So I can relate, I can understand, and we can be empathetic to each other. I'm sorry for, it's it's a bit of a pet peeve for me, but I shouldn't be. Uh, no, yeah, no, no, sorry. no, no, it's all good. But, but then for you as, as CEO, um, you know, what has been the impact on your mental health? You said, you know, it's certainly been one of the most challenging times for you leading whereby. So yeah, what has been the impact for your mental health and how have you managed that? So I think to me, there is, there is a tremendous amount of tapping into my own experience. I think right now, I, I really value that I've gone through tough times before. I know I have the resilience built up in me to say, I'm not giving up. I'm going to start over. And hearing your story, for instance, Alex, right, that means something to me because that's where we have to go back to now. We, we are basically, in some ways, the situation that you were in during COVID. And now you're back two years later, stronger than ever. Uh, there is a company called Travel Perk. I don't know if you know them. Hugely impressive what they did during uh, what was basically you should think was the what's was was the end of them, right? Just as as COVID started, uh, they're now back to growing faster than ever, right? It's extremely motivating when you see that. So, for me, tapping into my experience and allowing myself to feel that I can turn this around and I'm still the right person to do it. Uh, is is important. And potentially also, I told one of my colleagues on the executive team that we have to forgive ourselves, right? Yes, we made mistakes during uh, when scaling the company as we did. But if we go around blaming ourselves for that forever and apologizing for it forever, we're not good to anyone. Then we should just resign and leave our chairs to someone else. But just being open with yourself and say, yeah, Forgive yourself, move on, think about the future and what you can actually do to help fix the situation that you're in um, has huge impact on my mental health overall. And then it's the basics, right? The, 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 some would call it cliches, right? But for me, exercising, we talked about this, right? Having enough exercise and having a free space. Two days a week, I train my son's uh, football team. And that disconnects me from work. Like I leave my phone and people know that those two hours I'm unavailable. And I worry about coaching a 14-year-old kid on how to receive the ball and how to uh, give a great pass to someone else. Completely, when I go back to work after that, I feel energized, right? I feel different. And then just basic stuff like, again, sleeping enough, uh, taking care of yourself. So I think these are all things that we all know about, 
And so why are they so hard for us to then implement, right? Imagine yourself, Alex, if, if one of your key employees comes to you and say, hey, I'm borderline burnt out. I, I need, need to take care of myself. Can you help me do it? You would put everything in place to make sure that that person was treated properly, that he would come back, uh, he or she would come back fully recharged and energized, right? But we're still struggling to do it for ourselves. It makes no sense. It's... Uh, I heard one uh, founder say it's like the, the again on the on the airplanes when you p- put on your own mask before you help others, and that's sort of like just a good thing to remember in all this. No, no, definitely true. Um, uh, all of that, uh, and uh, you know, for me, I'm aware that like I I have a holiday. Uh, or my last couple of years, it's been like pretty much having a holiday once every six months. But by the end of that six months, I'm pretty burnt out, tired. You, you know, kind of veering on. You know. A little bit on the, on the the kind of the negative side and just really kind of yearning for that that holiday i take the holiday surprise surprise you, you know i give myself some space i feel fully recharged i come back i'm full of energy for the next six months uh and then i always say to myself well like you know i shouldn't wait so long you know to kind of like take a break and kind of have this six month sprint it's a long you know kind of sprint without a break um so i've made a conscious effort because i've been saying this to myself without doing anything and there are there, there, there are uh, other factors to consider. Like, obviously, taking a holiday, certainly if you're going abroad and with a family, you know, it costs, uh, you know, a bit of money, right? So there, there are kind of financial considerations unless you want to stay at home, which I, I never really find too much of a vacation because uh, you're, you're having a break from work. But, um, you know, I get, I get a bit bored. But now coming back from my recent holiday, I've booked in some time, you know, in I think sort of like end of October to have a quick short break, uh, and then hopefully at the end of the year, I'll manage to have something as well. And hopefully for me, you, you know, I'll be more impactful and, you know, like certainly feel better and be able to give more, you, you know, to the business. Uh, um, you know, if I'm giving myself a break and giving myself that opportunity to to recharge. And we say it to our co- like our colleagues uh, on the most part, my you know, my team members are fairly, you know, pretty good at that. And I'm probably, you know, one of the worst at actually like taking a, a vacation so I kind of need to be better and say, so, you know, putting that that mask on and, and leading by the front and, you know, taking more time off and showing that, you know, it, it, it's a good thing. You know, we all need it. There is there is no doubt in my mind. And I'm fortunate to have uh, it's sort of like same thing that you mentioned. I have uh, some very, very strong people on my executive team. And as a team, they pulled me aside and said, oh, even you're not you're not sharp. You're not where you normally are because you are borderline burnt out. You need to take time off just like everyone else at this company. And hearing that from them sort of like really, really hit home because I thought I was really contributing. But they were saying, no, you're just not as crisp and, and, and as... Um, uh, sort of like clear-minded that you normally are, you need to take some time off. And and so thank thank God I had people around me to to sort of like point it out to me. I should know better, but apparently I don't when it comes to my own uh, mental health, right? No, well, it's good to, to to have the leadership team in place and your colleagues in place to kind of point that out. Um, so so that, uh, that's good stuff. And you, meant, you mentioned that you mentor some founders. Um, you obviously speak to a number of founders, I think through your network, maybe through the, you know, the point nine sort of network as well. What else are you seeing in the market that maybe are solutions for overall better health for men, uh, you know, better mental health of founders? I mean, are you seeing anything like beyond obviously what we discussed in terms of like people should be exercising, taking holidays, sleeping well, etc.? 
I, I think, uh, and again, it's it's not rocket science, right? Like we always keep coming back to the, the to the basics. I think having people that you trust and that you can talk to and that you actually dare being vulnerable with, I think, is is probably the one thing I see that has the biggest impact. That that's when you get, you know, when you finish a call and then twenty minutes later you get a WhatsApp message saying wow, that was helpful. Just someone listening and someone being there for me and allowing me to to, to vent, be frustrated, etc. Right? That message always comes back because that's what people actually need. That's what other founders, I think, are looking for. So having that group of other founders that you can trust that you can that you can actually talk about these things because very often we don't always talk about the negatives like keep in mind most of the time we always find that's where it starts but then very quickly it goes into what could we do differently what could help what could be so you leave on a high you leave feeling energized from from those conversations so i would say for me that is always the key thing that keeps coming back make sure you have a strong list of people that you trust that always are available to you and that always can give you encouragement when you feel it because very often that's actually what you need and it's difficult to do that with a board member right because we all have insecurities and we don't want to let them know that we might not have everything figured out and it's so strange to think about because i found that the best investors have been operators or built companies themselves so they would actually be very often a huge source of support. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to have Christoph that has been amazing. Uh, Harry Stabbings is another person that I've had a great uh, privilege of, of getting to know and, and I see more as a friend than, than an investor at the moment, right? But finding those people that you can actually build a relationship with. And I guarantee you, this is a piece of advice, reach out to any founder that you would like to t- have a relationship with and explain the situation. And I guarantee you most will either say, yes, I can mentor you, or sorry, I don't have enough quality time to give, but here are two or three other people I would recommend you talk to. And once you're there, then everything else is 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 easier, right, in my opinion. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, m- moving into some of the more like, uh, quick-fire sort of questions. So if you can think, like, what one thing has perhaps moved the needle the most for, for whereby... Yeah, I was thinking uh, about this question actually specifically, and um, I can't find one specific thing or so like that silver bullet. It was always a huge amount of testing, iterating on something, and then finding what works, right? So, so it was always, and it's funny, I was speaking to a member of my team now that was saying, we've been battling and battling and battling for two years, and I, I almost said, well, that's, yeah, that's, the, and we'll, we'll, we will be battling for the next two years and the next four years. That's, that's basically what this is all about. So I don't believe in those kind of silver bullets, if that makes sense. I, I think it's, it's, it's a process and you iterate on it and, and you really see what, what sticks and, and, and what doesn't. Um, like, sort of like tongue in cheek, I would say, obviously, the one thing that really did move the needle for whereby was the surge in demand during the pandemic, right? But that's not something that we did. And it's not something that I, I, I want to emphasize in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely not a repeatable uh, sort of process. Uh, uh, not a strategy, let's put yeah, it that way. Yeah. Uh, what about the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I ever received was from one of our early stage uh, investors who is still uh, with us today. Uh, he is a serial entrepreneur. He's probably close to 75 today, uh, One, a person that I really admire and look up to. And 
he basically said that when you're building a company, it's crucial that you bring your partner along for the journey. And I was really bad at this. I thought my job is to protect Tez, my, my wife, for all the hardships and all the stress and all the anxiety I'm feeling. I don't want her to take that on and carry that load. Um, he said, no, you have to think about it differently. The more they know, the easier it is for them to understand what your priorities have to be, the easier it is for your family life. And it was nothing to do with how to build the company from a, from a strategic perspective or anything like that. It was purely to help me understand that we do this as a family. It's not, it's not just me. And I still struggle with it, so don't get me wrong, but it's great advice. I think everyone struggles with it, but it is yeah. great advice because similarly, like certainly during the hardest times, but often I kind of default to this, like after work, even if I had a good day, I don't really want to speak about work. I kind of want to like switch off. So I never really share like what's going on, uh, you know, whether if somebody's left or, you know, so on. So it's, it's uh, Gemma, um, my other half will really have to kind of probe to like, you, you know, get something kind of like out of me from work. And then maybe like after a few drinks on a Friday, I'll say, oh, like, you know, had a shitty week or a great week or something like that. But it, in general, I, I try not to, to to speak about it at all. And um, yeah, it's my default. And it makes them feel left out and not part of the journey, right? And I think long term, that is hugely detrimental to the to the relationship. So doing it, actually, we should see that as an investment in our own relationship building basically right agree agree what about the hardest thing i mean we, maybe we talked about some of this but the hardest thing about being a ceo i think for me it's always coming to terms that lot like a huge part of my job is disappointing people that disappointing other founders it's disappointing team members it's disappointing my shareholders my investors we actually have to get comfortable by being okay with disappointing other people because it's part of the job it's impossible for us to build something and do what we do and have everyone be fully content and absolutely delighted with us every step of the way so for me that is one thing that i keep coming back to still after 12 years i really hate disappointing people and i'm extremely competitive so when i fail my team and i have to let them go I take that extremely personal. When I disappoint our investors, then people that have believed in me and my team and what we're building, and I have to go back with a monthly investor report that sucks, I find that really, really challenging to do. But it is part of the job and that being open with it and, and being being better at being fine with disappointing others, I think is where I still have a, a huge part to to grow. What about your daily routine? What does that look like? So normally I will try to, um, three days a week, I will get some exercise in in the mornings. Um, I block time in my calendar, but normally I do that so early that I can also uh, help my kids uh, with breakfast and uh, prepare their lunch for school and, uh, and so on. I normally start my day around 8 a.m. Uh, because then I get at least one hour of solid work with emails and follow-ups and things that I didn't get to the day before. Uh, before the rest of the team starts to really come into to effect. Um, and then normally it's quite a lot of meetings, uh, not necessarily video meetings or phone meetings, but there's always something. We do a lot of async work and so on. So so making sure that all the decisions that people need uh, are taken. So I'm not blocking anyone. I, I really don't like the feeling of blocking my team from actually moving forward. So I try to get those done as quickly as I can. 
Um, in the afternoon, uh, our US team uh, comes on. Uh, so I sort of like we we work quite a lot of hours because there's always a lot to do uh, over overall with the with the business. But then I try to get dinner with my family. Um, that's not always I can make it, but at least two, three times a week, I try to make sure that I set aside an hour to actually sit down and have dinner. Um, like I mentioned, I have two days a week where I train uh, the football team, coach them, which is which is great fun. And then normally it's uh, another session in the evening, just catching up on Slack, uh, speaking to my CPTO, Andy, who is I work extremely close with. Um, and then I sleep, I sleep, I sleep, I sleep, I sleep a minimum of 7.5 to eight hours every single day. And I just make sure that that happens. My, my partner calls me the most boring person alive. And I think that's, that's true. Uh, but it, in many ways, it's like being, uh, an athlete, right? Like we train, I train quite hard and I work hard and then I need time to recover. And the best way to do that is actually just charging and getting eight hours of full charging every night. How do you optimize for getting seven to eight hours sleep? What is it? Do you have a specific routine or things that you need to do and bed at a certain time and certain temperature, et cetera? Yeah, no, I, I wish I'm, I'm that that's my next hack. That's the, 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 the temperature and the mattress and all that. But for now, I can actually make it work. So basically what I do is that I stop receiving any notifications after 10 uh, in the evening. Um, and I put my phone away around 10.15, maybe 10.30. Um, and then I fall asleep super fast, right? Like even that's, that's my super strength. Like even in the most challenging of times, I always start, I, I sleep, I, oh, sorry, I fall asleep quite easily. I wake up super early because I'm stressed. So that's the, that's the negative, but I, I really fall asleep quickly because I'm, I'm, I'm my, I'm toast. I'm, I'm, I just need sleep. Sounds like you've got a busy day. So I could, I can imagine, uh, uh, that for sure. Um, because so, and, um, so in October, uh, uh, we've got SASDOC 2022 coming back in Dublin. Uh, you're speaking, uh, uh this year. Uh, so looking forward to seeing you again in uh, in person and, and having more conversations. Uh, what are you speaking about uh, this year? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, it's uh, first of all, I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of great people. Uh, I see the, the the lineup is amazing. And so many of them I know from before. So I'm very excited about that. Hopefully I'll meet some new people that are also on that list or people that I haven't met uh, before, make some new acquaintances. That's always the, the best part of, of those conferences. Um, and I'm speaking about sort of like some of the topics that we've discussed here, like how can you do what you do and still have and protect your mental health and, and, and be optimistic about the future and, and push through and, and really get to the next level of your career or your business or, or stuff like that. And I think I'll share quite a few stories from whereby and, 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 and some of the battle scars that I've definitely uh, gotten over the last couple of years. Well, I, um, looking forward to that. And I think it's going to be uh, a great talk based on the conversation uh, today and, and knowing you and your story. And, you know, I, I, I know we, we've said, and maybe I, I need to do something on it, but like founders should share these stories kind of more often. And actually, when you look at SASDOC, the, the, the conference agenda, and I don't have it in front of me, I think there's going to be a lot more growth stories and, you know, these success stories than the mental health stuff. So perhaps we need to kind of cover more of that or certainly more do more of that, uh, you know, at future SASDOC conferences uh, because it's very important. So if we get people to talk about it, not only on the podcast, but, you know, conferences, uh, I think it's going to be very helpful for uh, a lot of founders. 
A hundred percent. And we can do both, right? That's my, that's my, that's my goal, right? Is that I think it's hugely valuable hearing other uh, stories on, on how they've grown their business and how they've done things. Like I pick up a tremendous amount of insights from, from listening to other founders. So I'm not saying that we should purely talk about our feelings and, and, and the mental health, but it should be part of the equation. And right now I, I feel like it's sort of like taking a back seat when we should put it almost equal in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. And what about your favorite business book? Uh, and also, uh, what are you currently reading, uh, if you have time? Yeah, so this is a classic. And I still keep coming back to this book as my absolute favorite, The Hard Things About Hard Things uh, with Ben Horowitz. I, I think it's just an amazing, uh, and it always puts uh, a few things into perspective for me. So I've probably read that at least 10 times. But it all, like that one, I, I really, really enjoy um, right now, I'm actually doing a personal growth project that is not reading, and that is trying to improve my writing skills. I absolutely suck at writing and being clear-minded and, and providing clarity in my thoughts. And so, um, uh, like I said, Andy, who is my uh, CPTO, he came from Amazon, and they have an amazing way of thinking about how you actually do writing in a good way that allows others to follow your thoughts and challenge them uh, and, and, and create narratives. So I'm trying to pick up all these bits and pieces of how we can do better when writing. Because I, I strongly believe that remote work is here to stay. And anything you can do to improve your writing skills will not only benefit you, it will greatly benefit your colleagues. And like I said, I suck at it, so I need a lot of work. But that's a personal growth project for me. Good. 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 Glad to hear you're doing something like that um, uh, and, and w working on you know weaknesses. Um, uh, and uh, finally, Oyvind, where can people find you online and whereby? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter uh, under the handle Ivan Reed. Uh, so uh, look me up and uh, and um, get in touch if, if if there's anything I can I can do to be of help uh, to anyone. Um, not on Facebook, so you won't find me there. Um, but then also check out whereby.com for the latest on our service and uh, our offering. It's way better than Zoom. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Good stuff. That was the plug, okay? Good stuff. I mean, you, you've got to get a plug in. You've got to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wait until the end. But, um, but look, Oyvind, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed this uh, conversation. Um, looking forward to publishing uh, this podcast and sharing it with the SASDOC audience. And, and likewise, looking forward to seeing you, uh, you know, again in October at, at SASDOC in Dublin. Uh, talking about Arsenal, talking about mental health, talking about growth and, uh, you know, good times and uh, having fun. So lo looking forward to that. Thanks so much, Oivan Reed, CEO of Whereby. Thank you so much. All those topics are amazing. So I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world. Want exclusive SAS content and actionable insights to grow your SAS? Join our community of over 36,000 SAS founders at sasdoc.com.